All right. I always know when it shifts from the question at hand, when the volume goes up a little bit, and we start talking about the Red Sox. All right. May they sweep, okay? That's what we're hoping for. You're an imposter. I'm an imposter. We're all imposters. In fact, you're afraid that people will find out who you really are. You're afraid the mask will be ripped off and that the people that look up to you, respect you, and place their trust in you will find out you're not really who you claim to be. That you don't live up to the words that you use. That deep down inside your head, you can't compete with every other person's expectations. You're an imposter. I'm an imposter. Whether you're an imposter now, you've probably been an imposter in the past. We play games in our heads, and it often wrestles with what we say to ourselves. Matt Damon's a niche actor. He's been typecasted to be a, a character who portrays a man who's not comfortable with himself. Oftentimes, he doesn't even know who he is, where he came from, what his past held. In his motion picture debut, he played a janitor. He was caught because he was a sanitation engineer who was a genius. And he had this kind of background with his Southie neighborhood high school friends that were deadbeats, never going anywhere, who loved to drink and party every single night. Yet, he found out that he was really smart. And that inside, if he were to carry out his brains and intelligence, he could go places. So the movie unpacks in Goodwill Hunting this character caught between two worlds. The world of using his mind to the full capability of the brains he was given or hanging out, trash talking, and learning how to survive the back streets of Boston. As the movie unpacks, he escapes his neighborhood, his friends, and his job and he flees and runs to carry out his true identity that frees him up to have a better future. In the Bourne trilogy, Matt Damon plays Jason Bourne, who struggles with who he is. He didn't know where he was born, where he grew up, who his parents were. He didn't know what he did before. He finds out in the movies, this character, that he was programmed to do evil, destructive, and murderous things. As the plot line develops, we find out that Jason Bourne is not the person that he's programmed to be. That the movie allows him to find his real self, or at least discover an independence free from the company. And in that freedom, he, he turns out to be a pretty nice guy. In the TV show Alias, Jennifer Garner plays a homeless person who was picked up off the street. She was cleaned up, washed up, perhaps brainwashed to come up with a new identity where she could transform herself into any woman that she needed to do to accomplish her missions. And catch me if you can, Leonardo DiCaprio was the 
person on the lamb, the man that was able to transform into any character that he needed, probably to the point that he didn't even know who he was. He struggled probably with his own self-esteem value because he was always running, always afraid of getting caught up into the lies at the time. Hollywood has keyed in on something here. Poster series. Because Hollywood knows that you and I, and almost every person that was ever walking the planet Earth, has asked three likely questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? And what will the future hold for me? These questions are simple questions, but we struggle with them every single day. We wonder how to live, navigate. And we're uncertain if we don't have answers. When I actually was asked to enter ministry, I have to tell you, I ran into some questions. Become a pastor at Grace Chapel? Who, me? I drink. I have lustful thoughts. I ski on Sundays. I skip church to go camping. Who am I to even entertain being a minister? Dave Johnson, the young adult pastor at the time, sat me down. He heard my concerns. And he said, God knows that. And he knows you. He knows everything about you. Don't you believe that God can use you? Dave Johnson read to me Isaiah 6, 8, which pretty much says, Who will go for us? Who will I send? And the response is, Send me. I'm here. And I tremble with fear, wondering if I really should answer the call of ministry. And as I walked out of the office, I started to let the tapes replay in my head. Ministry? you got to be kidding me. I don't look good. I talk poorly. When people really find out who I am, they won't want to follow me. They want to put their trust in me. And then amazingly, I had a chance to listen to some of the voices that I heard from the group of young adults that I hung out with here at the church. JT, have you ever thought about being a minister? You're great with people. What are you doing as an accountant? Stop counting the numbers and care for your friends. Care for the servants and the people God loves. JT, you're so good at empowering and strengthening and equipping people. You should be a pastor at a church. I have to tell you, it didn't take long for me to say, they got to be wrong. I know the real me. I know when I speed. I know when I lose my cool. I know when I punch the dashboard in my car. If anyone were to find out that I'm not perfect, then they would pick someone else. As I wrestle with my own identity, I was in a life crisis. Do I continue to do what I was doing? Crunching numbers, being an accountant? Or I give it all up and surrender my life completely and trust God to be a man serving his people every day. The call was placed before me, and I have to tell you, it was a daunting task. And I went back and forth, replaying the lies and the dysfunction and the unhealthy things in my head. 
And then I uncovered something interesting. I uncovered the imposter syndrome. A social, mental, spiritual disorder. Perhaps you've wrestled with the imposter syndrome. Maybe you found yourself wondering why people question your actions, check your motives, or more importantly, tell you things that you know are not the real you. Let's take a couple of situations. For example, let's just say you got a promotion at your workplace, or you graduated with a master's degree, or you got the Best Employee of the Month award. You say to yourself, that's got to be luck. That can't be me. I know that they give that award out to everyone. I know if anyone goes to grad school, they get a master's degree. Who am I? I'm just a nobody. Maybe you're caught up into your head to the point that you dread and all you want to do is stay in bed. Maybe you're worried about the way you look at yourself because you know where your strengths are and where your deficiencies lie. And it seems like one weighs a lot more than the other. Perhaps you're caught up with looking at your imposter life because you know that you struggle with who you are based on what people say. They say you're good. They say that you're a great friend. They say that they love you and care for you. But you know the truth. If they love me, then why don't they show it? Why should they have to say it? If they say I'm good, then why aren't they always there for me? Maybe your employer, maybe your boss says, hey, you did a great job. I love you on the team. But you replay in your head, there's no way that he loves me on the team. He says that to everyone. I did a terrible job. The imposter syndrome actually has three categories of people. Perhaps if you found yourself in any one of the situations that I described, or one of these three categories, you wrestle with the imposter syndrome. Let me tell you about the three categories. The first group are highly educated and or high achievers. People are unable to internalize their accomplishments, accomplishments regardless of what level of success they may have achieved in their chosen field, work or study, or what external proof they may have had of their competence. They remain convinced internally that they do not deserve the success they have achieved and are really frauds. Proof of success are dismissed as luck, timing, or otherwise having deceived others into thinking that they are more intelligent and competent than they believe themselves to be. The second group are leaders or highly placed volunteers. People are unable to believe anyone would follow them, trust them, or act on their words, regardless of their faithfulness, development, and position. Hmm. Does Moses come to mind? Moses spent 40 years wandering the desert, probably caught in his head, in a burning bush was a flame, and he heard God's voice. Moses, take my people out of captivity. Deliver them from Egypt. Moses was caught in an identity crisis. How did he respond? 
Lord, there's got to be someone else. Lord, I'm slow in speech. I, 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 I can't do it. I don't even talk well. Lord, you got to pick someone else. I will be with you. I am your God. But what, what, what if they don't believe me? Say, I am sent you. Moses was confused. Moses was baffled. Moses left 40 years in the desert and trusted his reality in God and the faithfulness the Lord had and obeyed him and led the Israelites out of captivity. The third category of people are conflicted Christians. People who are confused about their salvation and their present and future realities. Am I saved? Does God really love me? Does He really mean that when He died, I'll rise like He did from the grave? If He really loves me, then why doesn't He show me His love on a daily basis? I read in the Bible and they just appear to be words on a page. If I'm going to have eternity with Him in heaven then why can't I experience it now? As conflicted Christians, it's very easy for us to waffle back and forth and question God. We cry out, Lord, show me your love. Jesus, touch me personally. Holy Spirit, come inside me and change the way I am. The imposter syndrome is an attack on the mind where we belittle ourselves from the inside out. We ignore, marginalize, or dismiss what God says and reject or change what other people say about us. The games people play begin in their heads. We hide, hinder the truth. When people tell us something, we put it through our corrective filter because we know what they're saying isn't really who we are. We have to write the things that we say. We have to be polite when we're around other people. In fact, many of us change what we want to say. We wear different clothes so that we can befriend people and make them like us. These are all the struggles that we face on a daily basis when we're not secure, comfortable, confident in who we are. When we're rooted in Christ, we have a chance to stop and understand our true identity. By stopping who we are, we can see here that when we stop, it spells out an acronym for us. Stop and take stock of yourself. Stop lying and trust the truth. Stop the isolation and open yourself up to others. Stop denying your true identity. Pleasure is found in who you are. Stop leads us to self-discovery of our true identity. Let's look at this acronym as we unpack ways to understand who we are. Stop, starting with the S. Self-analyze. Take a moment and inventory what you've told yourself, what you've heard others say about you, experiences that have impacted you. Separate them out into two categories. 
one category that has developed character in you, offered hope, and helped make you be more secure in the world. And then the other category that has robbed you, made you feel insecure, disempowered you, crippled you, perhaps held you captive and not allowed you to receive love, forgiveness, and freedom. It's the second group that we want to look at. When you self-analyze, write down this group of voices, experiences, and things that are robbing you of the freedom that can come in Christ and the freedom that can come with an identity that allows you to be true to yourself. Record them. Dictate them. Type them into a computer. And then as you do that, get ready to turn them over to God. Allow Him to hear yourself and the struggles that reside in your mind. Because this is the first act in a form of confession to release these lies, these falsities, these deceitful things that have robbed you and held you captive. As you self-analyze, be ready to act. Dr. Neil Anderson talks about a, a woman who came to talk to him. Her name was uh, Lydia. And Lydia was struggling because of her childhood where she was verbally and sexually assaulted. She had no self-worth. She felt no one would ever love her. Dr. Neil Anderson went to her and said, can you read these I am in Christ statements? And she began to read them and she stopped and she froze. And Dr. Neil Anderson said, who are you? He said, I'm evil. I'm ugly. I'm unlovable. All people ever tell me is that I'm no good and I can do nothing worth of value. He prayed right then and there. And he prayed. And as he prayed, he invited her to pray along. And through the prayer, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she found that her voices, the lies, the recorder, the things that she kept replaying in her head, the satanic things that hindered her from herself, freed her up to reread the I am in Christ statements. A little while later, she came back and talked to Dr. Neil Anderson and said, as I started to read those I am statements the first time, it all went dark. It went blank before my eyes. It was statements that I knew were not true of me. I couldn't believe them. But when you prayed and I followed and I opened my life to Jesus and I put my trust in God, it was like all of a sudden this lightness came in and there was a bright clarity of who I truly am. And as I read these words, I realized that I have a life to discover who I am in Christ. You see, when we self-analyze and we confess and turn over the things that are not true about us, whether the things we say about ourselves or their voices from other people or their past experiences or histories that have left an indelible mark on us that have not allowed us to be comfortable, confident, and free in who we are, we need to confess that and put it in from inaction to action 
and turn that over to God. We can read in 1 Peter how we turn this into action. It says in 1 Peter, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient, cheerful, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. We can read another passage in Ephesians 4, 22-25. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. These two passages say that you are holy, you are pure, you are righteous, you are blameless. Have you ever thought about being holy as Christ is holy? You are so free to be complete in God that He sends His own Spirit to reside in you. We need to allow these truths to penetrate our minds, to free us up after we analyze the past. We're ready to move forward in the truth. That's the second part of stop. To trust the truth. If you remember when I opened up, we talked about the three questions that Hollywood is really good about writing movies. Who we are, where we came from, and what does our future hold? Well, let's rearrange these and look at them in chronological order. Let's look at the first question. Where did we come from? If you were with us a couple weeks ago when we started the newborn identity series, we learned that you and I come from God. That we are created in God's image. That God loved us so much that He created us to be in right relationship with us. That He created us that our bodies were made by God. That our bodies are made for us. And our bodies are made for God to dwell in us and to be used for Him. As we shared that night, we said there are scripture passages that go on, go along with each of these statements. We want you to be able to revisit those statements. Revisit what Christ has written about you and about your body. And know that you can trust that for now, tomorrow, and for eternity. And as you develop that trust, you're going to realize there's other truths about you. In fact, there's other truths about you right now that you can apply to your life that are recorded in the Bible. Who are you right now? You are forgiven and redeemed. No matter the ungodly traits, the bad habits, the malicious talk, anger, rage, no matter what you have done in your past, you can come before Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness. And He extends it. Not only that, but as He extends it, He says, 
Let me take you into my life and let me introduce you to the Father, the God Almighty of the universe, and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit in you to dwell in you so that we'll maintain a community with Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with you. That's how much I love you. You are God's child. God loves you to the point that He adopts you and brings you into the family of God. As we sang earlier, you are Christ's friend. I cannot think of anything more significant. Maybe that was one of the things shared at the beginning. What is so amazing about God is that He would call me His friend. He would take the time to listen to me, hang out with me, and do outrageously fun things with me. He would cry with me. He would hold me. And He would care for me. And He would never let me go. God's friendship is more than any other human friendship we could ever imagine. You are forgiven, made holy, pure, and righteous. You are a member of Christ's body. You are a saint. Hold on. If you are a member of Jesus Christ's family, you have pledged your allegiance to Christ and you believe Him, these are for you and you are a saint. And you are a member of all those that have gone before in God's family and all those that will come up behind us. We are saints to dance and rejoice with the angels. And you are complete in Christ. Hollywood has another lie that they love to tell us. And that is that another human being can complete us, can make us whole. But that's not true. Only God can complete us. Only God makes us whole. Only God gives us spiritual, mental, and physical health. It is through the Holy Spirit that we take these truths and are able to apply them to us. Dr. Neil Anderson had a way of saying this. He said, the only way you're going to live a productive life, feel good about yourself, and carry out your calling in life is to discover who you truly truly are. Pete Scazzario, who wrote The Emotional Healthy Spirituality, said that really what we need to do is put aside the falsehood of us and discover the real Christ in us. And as we discover the real Christ in us, we discover who we are. We discover that we have value. We have meaning. We have purpose. We have significance. So how do we do this? How do we do it when we play the mind games in our head, when we have the recorder going over and over and over and over and over and over, and it second guesses our thoughts, and it cripplizes us from actually holding on to the truth? We can read a passage from Colossians, Colossians 3, 1 through 10, and we can actually listen to it as we read it. So with Roger's help, we're going to go ahead and listen to this passage. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways 
in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul Borthwick, who was one of my mentors when I first started to consider ministry, gave a challenge to a young adult group just like this. He said, are you the same person you are here that you are at home? Are you the same person you are at church as you are at work? Are you the same person you are when you hang out with your high school friends as you are when you're in a group like FIRE? Are you the same person you are when no one else is around? And then he said, what would happen if I showed up at 5 o'clock on a Friday in your office? That was a great question. So I have a question for all of us. Do the things we sing about, talk about, and share in our life communities, in our expressions, of conversation when we go out with a fire event or an activity, when we text message, email, or post things on our wall on Facebook, do they line up with who you are in Christ? Are you the same now as you were yesterday and can be tomorrow? I think it's confession time. I'd like to walk us through a prayer because you may not be. And I know that I have struggles. So let me pray for us. Lord God, as we talked about the head games, we know that oftentimes we say things to have other people like us. We do things that we're ashamed of, whether it's because it's a first-time experience or caught up in the repetitious habits. Lord, we sometimes take your name in vain and we dishonor people that you have created in your image. And we confess that right now and ask for forgiveness. Please cleanse us of these things in the past and show your love new and fresh so that we can reside in you. We want to be free from the things that hinder and block us and be equipped with your tenderness, your touch, and your scriptures that tell us about the truth of who we are. May the reality of Christ who sacrificed his life for us be our identity to have freedom from the things that hold us back. In your name we pray. Amen. So we looked under this truth section. We were looking at three questions. We looked at pretty much where we were born. We looked at who we are now. And the third question is, what will your future hold? What will happen tomorrow? In two weeks, we're going to answer that one.
when we conclude the Newborn Identity Series. So as you look at this STOP acronym, you have a chance to self-analyze and trust the truth. And as you trust the truth, you actually can open yourself up to other people. Look around this room. There are men and women from all walks of life. There are people that have trusted Christ to be their Lord. And that allows us to be in community because God has made us as social beings. That we are wired to be interdependent on other people. That you and I are better when we are better together. And that means that we need to pick people that we can trust. We need to find people that will speak truth into our lives and will support God's Scriptures and empower us and free us to be who we are. We want to let them pour value into us. Now let's just unpack these three opportunities to allow others into our lives. To find people that you can trust. That's kind of threatening and scary. After all, if you're wrestling with who you are on the inside, maybe the person that you're about to confide in is as well. But as God extends His love, trust Him in that human relationship. Allow another person to validate these truths about your identity. As you open up, free yourself to have fun. Free yourself to discover God's truth together. And then encourage one another. Pour value into each other. Text message. Post things on a person's wall. Leave voice messages on one's cell phone. Encourage, bless, and support God's truth. Someone once said, encouragement is oxygen to the soul. I hope that as men and women of fire, that we will encourage one another so that not only are we glad to be with the men and women of fire, that that will support us on Friday and Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday when we're apart. And that when people see us, they will see our heads are up, our backs are straight, and our walk is confident. Not confident because of what the world says, but confident in what God says about us that is supported in the community of believers and that is validated as we hang out with each other. I get so excited looking around this room and knowing how much God loves you because I see the love on your faces. I see the way you interact with each other, the way you high-five and celebrate, the way we do birthdays, the way we help people move, the way we give compassion to the homeless. That is trusting God's truth in the community of believers, in the community of a group like FIRE. When we stop, not only do we analyze ourselves and we trust the truth and open ourselves up to others, we actually find the P. Pleasure is found in who you are. You are a son or daughter of God who is dearly loved. When I think of God's love, I can't help but think about the ocean. In fact, I love to hear the waves crash on the shore. I love to wade in the ocean. In fact, whenever I have an opportunity, I love to dive in its depths. But you know what's funny? 
the more I learn about the ocean, the more I stand in awe of the lack of knowledge I have. The more I'm amazed. And God's love is like an ocean. In fact, His love is more vast than an ocean. His love is so incredible, so deep and far, high and wide, that I will never conceive the enormity of His love. But this I can tell you, His love is enough. His love is enough for me. And His love is enough for you. And as I wade in it and dive deep in it, I discover more about God and I discover more about myself. And as you do it, I have truth to tell you. You will discover more about you and your identity in Christ. Jesus said, kind of in response to a crowd that was asking, what is the greatest commandment? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. As we love God, not only can we love God back more fully, but we are free not to compare ourselves to other people. We are free to put the lies that are deceitful in our heads, in His hands, to blot them out, to kick them out, and wipe them out. We are free to be loved by other people, and we are free to love men and women in a group like FIRE. And men and women that we work with. Men and women that we go to school with. Children that we see playing. Old people that are caught in a retirement home. We are free to love anyone and everyone. And God frees us up with the reality that His love is more than enough. Now there are a couple of things to consider. I realize that you may have heard a message like this before. You may have been on an experience where you took a popsicle stick out and you wrote down all the worst things that you've ever done and you've thrown them into a fire and that's to do poof pingle magic and you're done with it. You may have written out a document at some time and you took it and you put it through a shredder symbolizing that your old self is gone and you're ready to live a new self. I realize that what we're talking about in this newborn identity series is not something that happens overnight. And I know that as you trust Christ, you may actually backlash into some old habits. You may actually dive into the deceptive replay of your head. And that's why the Lord wants us to be in community, wants us to receive His love, because as we start to replay those old tapes that haven't been washed away, haven't been erased, It can become His truth. I am a child of God. 
I have an eternal relationship. My name is written in the book of life. I am holy. I'm a saint. And as we replay the truth of Christ, we realize that overwrites, replaces, and erases those old lies. And it leaves a healthy spirituality that is rooted in Christ's reality of who you are, that is confirmed in His community. We need to not only revisit the words Jesus tells us, but we need to look around and give opportunities to encourage one another. I mentioned earlier that um, when I was considering ministry, how I was caught in identity crisis. There were really probably a whole church behind that call in clarity. Because I really believed that I could stay as an accountant or a computer geek and love God and serve Him. It's not like you have to be a minister to be a person of Christ. Christ calls us to serve Him right where we're at. But what was interesting is Dave Johnson and Paul Borthwick really kind of fleshed it out. Paul Borthwick said, you're having trouble because you're having too many thoughts in your head. You're second-guessing every thinking procedure, every choice that you made. In fact, that's what most young adults wrestle with today is what is called over-choice. Over-choice means that there's so many options before you that you can't find peace and contentment. You can't dwell in the freedom that comes with having your own mind trust what you've decided. That our over-choice is rooted in our insecurities that we're afraid of making the wrong decision. And Paul Borthwick in his book, Simplify, goes on to say that this robs us of understanding our true self, our self in Christ. Because we're so caught up in the second-guessing, revisiting, recalculating, processing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that we never just stop and rest and trust in Christ and savor His words and delight in His Spirit as it resides in us. We get so caught up into the world and the way the world keeps moving at a faster and faster and faster pace that we rob ourselves of being silent and still before the Lord. One of the things we've been talking about here for the whole year at Grace Chapel is looking at a life of transformation, a way that we can be complete in Christ, in God. And we come up with this uh, spiritual devotion guide to help us look at that. This is a daily opportunity to develop your intimacy with the Lord. It's not something to stop your devotion, but in order to supplement your devotion. To allow you to realize that God loves you enough that it's not just a Sunday and a Thursday experience. He wants you to have His friendship rooted in all that you do. Your newborn identity is rooted in Christ's reality. You are complete in Christ. No other human being can complete you. Only the Lord's love, Christ's sacrifice, and the indwelling of the Spirit 
will make you whole. It says in Colossians 2, 9 through 10, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So the next time your confidence is attacked or your mind belittles you, take stock in the truth found in scriptures. I've actually asked uh, Michelle Denning if she'd be free to share a couple words on how uh, this message impacted her. She had an advanced copy of what we were going to talk about, and I thought it'd be great. Also, I just want to let you know that Michelle Denning actually has uh, stepped up into helping us organize, streamline, make more proficient, make better, more creative, more dynamic our large group nights. So let's give her a big hand as she comes up here. Pressure then, is there? <laughs> After all of that. Um, so I'm Michelle Denning. I've been at Grace Chapel for about eight months now. And like JT said, I, I'd, uh, I've sort of read some of the stuff that he was going to be speaking about tonight. And I was just like, wow, this is exciting, actually. Because I kind of know really... What he's speaking about, I really know uh, deep down. Um, I've been a Christian since I was about five, but I decided, right, that's when I want to give my life to God. And grew up in a Christian uh, household and, and good Christian teaching. At the age of 16, I went off to Spain on a mission trip. And there, I really understood the, the power of prayer in these people's lives was just amazing. And not just, um, you know, the big stuff, but, but just the small details as well, even down to the cool things when they had to do international transfers, what day they were going to transfer the money so that they would get the best exchange rate. And God managed to work that out. So it was just amazing. So I, I've grown up in the church, and what I'm trying to say is that I've heard and read what the Bible has said about how I'm a child of God, how God loves me as his daughter. And that's great, but I was thinking, ah, yeah, okay, great for other people. Oh, I'm not so sure if I actually completely 100% believe that. And also, um, I also struggled a little bit with the fact that Jesus died for me. If there was nobody else on earth, Jesus died for me. Not me. Okay, yeah, someone like JT. Fine. Someone like the worship leaders, great. But me, I'm really not so sure about that. But through some time, um, really in intimate worship and being prayed for by wise people, I really began to let the Spirit just fill me and really believe that, yes, you know, Jesus did die for me. God loves me as his child. And I think that's what the amazing thing is, is no matter what, niggles still come back. The devil still tries to tempt me into believing that I'm not worth it and I can't do the things that he's, um, you know, that God's actually asking me to do. At a time, those niggles are there, but I just keep having to go over and over again the things that people have spoken to me about, the pictures people may have given to me. I was given a just an amazing picture by some very wise woman in my uh, previous church. And it was just a picture of a beautiful bouquet of flowers. And I was like, okay, great. 
what does that mean exactly? Well, they said, well, they really felt that uh, it was God that was actually saying that he saw me as a beautiful bouquet of flowers. And that he continued throughout my life, he'll continue to add flowers into that bouquet. So it's not just, you know, one small bouquet and it'll never change, but it'll continue to get bigger and bigger and more beautiful. Now, I love flowers, so this is a great way of God actually saying, you know, I really do think you're beautiful. I really do think you are wonderful. And I now believe that. Not in the big-headed way, you'll be glad to know, but I do. I believe that God thinks I'm beautiful. On the inside, he believes that he can, you know, he can trust me to do stuff in church, to serve as he wants me to serve. And even though I'm maybe not very confident, like I said to JT, oh, okay, fine, yeah, I'll say something, but I'm a behind-the-scenes kind of girl. But I believe that God would give me the words I needed to say. So I really just wanted to, to share that with you. And there's a song that we're going to listen to as well, which I just find amazing. And I think if you can really get it, it could make a difference into how you may be thinking about these things. It's about how God sings his song over us, how he looks at you as you work, as you study, as you sleep, as you go out and have fun with your friends. And he watches over us and he loves us. He's pleased with us. He's pleased you're his precious daughter and his precious son. And he just wants to continue singing out, pouring out his spirit into our lives if we just let him. And so as you listen to this song, just consider that God really might just want to be saying, okay, I know you've read the Bible. I know you've heard this a million times before, but I really mean it for you. And he does. He means it for every single one. And so I just hope that, that you'll really sense that tonight. You'll really just have an understanding so much deeper than you've ever had before. And that's what I pray for this evening.